because my face is real and his face is not. Hello and welcome back to the Matthew Wade Appreciation Station. I'm back. Um, sorry about the delay again. I feel like I'm apologising each time. Uh, it's, treat it like hibernation. Don't see the episodes as a regular thing. See them as a sort of positive surprise and the rest of the time I'm asleep. Look at it that way. Um, yeah, just obviously, yeah, same excuses last time. Uh, university, commuting, all that stuff. We'll, I will eventually, hopefully, find housing on campus and then regularity may come back. But at the same time, Maybe I won't, and maybe or maybe I will, and it will continue to be this kind of weird, frenetic release schedule. I don't know. I am still trying to figure out how to do that Elevens thing. I mean, it's in exactly the same phase as it was last time of, oh, that'd be quite a nice, nice thing to do. I uh, haven't got any further than that. But um, I do, I mean, yeah, there's Jen, actually. I don't even know why I brought it up. There's nothing to add. So, uh, cricket has been happening, lots of it. Um, it's a bit of World Cup, and I didn't do any episodes leading into the World Cup, I haven't done any episodes during the World Cup and the finals on Sunday because I'm just not very good at my, well not, it's not a job, I'm not good at this, um, I just like doing it. Were I good at it, I would have been milking this for content, it would have been it would have been amazing, um, I would have had individual run, like pre-tournament rundowns of each team, who's good, who's bad, all that stuff, I mean it wouldn't have been very insightful because I don't know much, but it would have been content, right, it would have been, it would have had that all-important label that um, that means I'm doing something productive. It's content, right? Um, I could have done that. I could have done fucking post matches. I could have just picked a specific team and done like a rundown of every game they did, and that could have been fantastic. I could have pretended I was an expert on something. There's a lot of potential uh, that's now unfortunately uh, been wasted. But what can you do? Um, I could try harder, um, or be more productive, or be more active or try and channel my motivation or energy to something that is productive or that I enjoy doing as opposed to just sort of letting it simmer while I kind of sit fixed to a chair like uh, like Alex in A Clockwork Orange, kind of like gripping the uh, the edges of the chair, um, kind of going, I need to do something, and then not doing anything. These are all constructive ideas, but we'll get to them down the line, right? So that individual team thing knows what I'm going to do now. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, because you know that's much easier. Uh, so I'm probably at some point during this podcast, I don't know how long it's going to be. I'm going to do a rundown. I'm going to go through each individual team, not the ones who didn't make it to the Super Twelve. Because who gives a fuck about them? I'm going to do like a quick rundown. Like here's how their tournament went. Here are some things that stuck out to me. At the end of the day, these are all just framing mechanics for me talking about the things I want to talk about. Right? That's just how. There's no hard and fast rule. I will probably forget things. I might even forget a couple of countries. I'm looking at Scotland there. I will probably forget Scotland because there's nothing really to say. Um, but at the same time, there's yeah. It's just it's something to try and keep me on track. Otherwise, it'll be five minutes time and I'll be talking about like Michael Yardy's stance, a stance that we might actually be seeing more of. Awkward cut. I know. Sorry, had to burp um, because he's coming back to Sussex. The Sussex legend Michael Yardy, the man. With that weird stance, also one of the most accomplished players we've had, um, is coming back to Sussex as a youth development coach, which is really good um, because, I mean, he's really good and hopefully, and we've got a, an incredible crop of good young players. Um, so, 
ideally it would work out. I mean, he's coming for, he's coming off first stint as the batting coach for Kent. And while they obviously had their struggles, you can't really just put that down to him. Um, hopefully, yeah, I'm just hopefully things work out for Sussex in general. I mean, it's a weird state of affairs. We just uh, we've re-signed uh, Travis Head and put him in place as the captain, which is a ludicrous decision. Um, and it's just that kind of weird gamble that's going to make next season much more interesting narrative-wise. It's like the overseas player who came with a decent amount of hype and then, I mean, let's be honest, really did disappoint with the back because he struggled against the moving ball, tried to play on the back foot, all, you know, all sorts of problems, never really got going, is now the captain of the county. That just feels, that's insane. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, if, if you're not using Ben Brown, which I do understand, because... Um, I mean, you you don't just strip someone of the captaincy, then put them straight back in. That doesn't really make sense. So you're not using Ben Brown, fair enough. Um, you're not going to use one of the really young players. Ollie Robinson's a bowler and is often away on international duty, so you wouldn't necessarily want to use him. When you look at other senior players, I mean, Delray Rawlins. I just, there's yeah, the, that's one of the disadvantages of having such a young team. Is the sort of experienced players are are definitely a commodity, and I think that is why. I mean, I guess that is why they did it. But I personally would have gone with Tom Haynes. I think he is currently, at least, the real shining star on our batting lineup. He's already the, they've made him the one-day captain, um, so it's not like they don't trust him with any leadership responsibility. Uh, and it does, it feels like he's really going to be ushering in what hopefully will turn out to be a positive era of Sussex cricket. Will help guide those new stars through, but maybe he won't. Um, regardless, Travis has the captain. I don't really... I mean, it's a strange decision, but that is uh, how that works. Um, that's just the way she goes. I've been watching Trailer Park Boys re- recently, so, you know, that's the way she goes, is creeping back into my vocabulary. All really good. Uh, good show. Um, this bit started, I'm aware, as me talking about how I need to create things to stay on topic during conversation about the World Cup, and I'm now talking about Trailer Park Boys. But it is a really, really good show, um, and if you have Netflix, you should watch it. Uh, the, you can skip the Netflix original seasons; they're not great. Uh, it's like with the rest of development. Treat the fact, treat the presence of those new seasons as just an assurance that you'll always be able to watch the good stuff, and then just you can always skip the new stuff. You don't need to watch it; it's uh, it is shit. So before we get into any of the teams people actually really do care about, uh, that is to say, the teams that made it, the Super Twelve of the World Cup, we're going to just do a quick rundown of the teams that didn't make it and throw out a couple of words of condolence, I guess. I'm going to put some really nice emotional piano music in here. And because it's a 32-bar loop, it's going to get really, really annoying and repetitive. About here. Anyway, let's go. So, the uh, there were two groups, and both groups had two teams that did not make it. I'm just going to get this out of the way now. I have nothing to say about Oman or Papua New Guinea. I didn't watch their matches, and I am not yet. I mean, I will hopefully learn about their cricket teams in the future, but for the time being I don't know much about their cricket teams, so I can't really add anything. I mean, I thought Oman could do a bit better um, than they did. I, mean, I know that they've got some good spinners. Uh, that's about it. Ireland, um, quite disappointing tournament. I think most people would have expected them to get in over Namibia, although fantastic for Namibia, of course, and I will get to that when I talk about the teams people do care about. Let's go Namibia. But, uh, yeah, it was just... It was, it was a really clunky performance I think it does feel from a non-analytical just kind of narrative if you will perspective it feels a lot like the changing of the guard you're seeing the back of 
veteran, you've already seen the back of veteran players like Mercer. I think Porterfield's gone as well now. You're starting to see the the end of the careers of uh, people like um, people like Paul Sterling as well. And you're seeing this new generation, this new crop coming in. I think Curtis Camphor is probably leading the charge with that. He's just a fantastic player. But it's still it's still the dregs of something that was really good and are in the beginnings of something that hopefully will be really good kind of in this kind of mixing pot trying to see what works between the two of them without any real chemistry or plan uh, and at the end of the day they just for the time being at least they just don't have enough players of that calibre and who can consistently deliver despite what was a very good performance a uh, very good performance from Curtis Camphor and Paul Sterling I think it was pretty it was alright but yeah, I mean, hopefully it's, it's important to note that they do have some good players coming through, but they've got good players developing outside their national setup as well, who can ideally, will be able to slot in later on. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But for the time being, at least it was, I think they're just going to consider the whole tournament a write-off. It was disappointing for sure. And then the Netherlands, um, same thing, but with less talent coming through and less impressive talent leaving. Um, it, yeah, it was just, it was shocking for the Netherlands. And to be honest, it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. It was just a very rough tournament for them overall, and it's looking like it could be the first of quite a few disappointments for a good few years for the Netherlands, which is also a shame because they're probably the cricket-playing country that's closest to where I live. So theoretically, if they were really, really good at cricket, I could just like drive two hours and watch one of their games and see some good talent. But as it stands, I won't be able to do that. Um, and that is the real tragedy here. Uh, this actually, this actually overran. So I'm going to have to extend this uh, piano lick that you're probably absolutely done with even longer. But it's done now, so you can stop listening to it. Well, we got that depressing section about failure out of the way. Let's talk about some teams that didn't fail, or at least took longer to. I'm going to start off with uh, Scotland, and technically I should probably have grouped them with the previous group who t- uh, who just failed instantly because Scotland didn't win a single game and didn't really look like winning a single game. Um, I I have nothing much to say. I feel like no, 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 nothing. There's nothing to say about Scotland. Um, hopefully they'll. I mean, just in general, this is general for all teams who don't do well. Hopefully, they'll be better down the line to, because more good cricket teams makes more good cricket, makes more enjoyable sport, makes more talking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all positive, right? But um, Scotland offered very little. I mean, there's, there's, yeah. I mean, when you lose five games and end up with a net run rate of minus 3.543, um, you've done very poorly. Uh, so that's Scotland. That's them out of the way. Uh, Namibia. 1-1 match, and that is genuinely quite good. Um, I mean, it was against Scotland, but... I uh, So, you, when it comes to these kind of tournaments, you always need to look for what individual teams will look to get out of it. Had Namibia won this World Cup, I think it's safe to say it would have been quite surprising for everyone, including Namibia. Fair enough. Um, what they were arguably have been looking for, because as a cricket board with a much lower international profile and reputation much lower options for funding and as a result of both of those things a much smaller pool of actual talent to draw from I mean the um, their stand-up performer was uh, David Visa who is South African born and was made eligible to play due to um, due to 
like ancestry. Same thing for their top bowler, um, Ruben Trumpelman, who I will get to. Um, but I'll get to both of them. But as a result of their limitations of their setup, they aren't able to field a team that is going to win the T20 World Cup. And I think that's quite obvious. What they would have been looking for and what they got, which is fantastic, is the kind of high-level exposure that they've been looking for. There's an interview with um, with the captain, Gerard Erasmus, trying to do the accent, get a bit fancy international or that. He, um, he gave this interview talking about how the tournament was a fantastic success to them, uh, despite only winning one match, right? When you think about it, you, you always need to remember what they would be looking for. He talks about how after win, um, after winning that match, um, their profile was raised. Uh, after the tournament, they got um, this new they got this new national sponsor in this sort of one of those rich Indian companies that's marketing towards exclusively Indians by just being near the sport of cricket. I mean, I guess it works. They're all doing it. Um, talks about how hopefully the funding that's now come in, including the uh, automatic um, qualification for the next World Cup, um, all of these things will combine and actually just increase national interest he didn't shy away from the point uh, from the fact that in the country of Namibia their national cricket team had three black players um four of you include reserves but three black players none of them necessary and none of them of the profile of visa who is the sort of the star name for the team i guess um and that is in, when you think about it, I mean, for multiple reasons, and it's not just how expensive the gear is. It's just it's it's it goes much deeper than that. It, it approaches it approaches a lot of issues of class and race, undeniably. Cricket is still globally a sport for wealthy, uh, wealthy people or people with access to the same um, to, to the same uh, facilities as wealthy people. It's a it's a very it's a very severe class structure and countries that are doing well and are, are, and are able to break out of that flourish from it. I mean, you look at what India are currently doing, trying to make sure that access to the cricket teams is available, uh, access to cricket and cricket facilities and coaching is available to people from uh, people from rural areas, people with less money growing up. You've got, um, I can't remember the, ne- I think it's, uh, I, can't, I think it's in Mumbai. There's this academy that just lets everyone in and lends them equipment and then if they're good enough they will always try and find some like sponsor, some like bat sponsor to give them a couple of bats. Be like on the promise that hey, you might be sponsoring the next big name. Um, and India is famously not just in cricket, just in general, a country with a very, very rigid caste class structure, right? And it has been present in um, in cricket. It was one of the underlying themes of the whole Sachin Tendulkar Vinod Kambli debate. It was Sachin Tendulkar comes from I think it was a Brahmin actually. He comes from this higher social class within India and showed immense promise at the same time as Vinod Kambli, who still took multiple years to get to that level, and who, uh, to get to that level of international test cricket, excelled, but then sort of self-destructed in this new area he'd never really been exposed to or really allowed into before, where he kind of felt like the outsider, felt like he was never supported, for, and he was just had this whole new world opened to him, and it kind of... I mean, this is... It's, a, it's very difficult to get into the mind of an athlete, but the story goes, the narrative goes, that that kind of sudden explosion destroyed him. And that is something that, that is an issue that hopefully will be getting reduced in India, at least, as they try and break out that class structure. Go back to Namibia, the pre- the ability to have that performance and that new money coming into the cricket board with an understanding of the class issues within that society, with an understanding of the, ro- of the role cricket could have in creating this strong 
national identity because sport is, and it's, it's been said a million times by a million people, that sport will always go beyond just sport, especially in countries that have had historic... Uh, I mean, you look at, you look at um, cricket again as an example. You look at how uh, important that's been in the history of Sri Lanka. The ability it has to unite people around this national identity, around this field of competition, around this team, that will then give them some kind of inspiration or some kind of pride. And this is this is coming from someone personally who is not interested in this idea in this idea of chauvinism, nationalism, even patriotism. I don't care for it personally, but at the same time, I understand that it can be a very important thing. I just when it approaches this kind of jingoistic hyper competitive spirit then it obviously it sours i mean look at india pakistan enough said but to kind of wrap this up because i don't want to go on too long hopefully this performance will lead to just more talented cricketers coming out of namibia more opportunities above all for people who wouldn't necessarily have those chances within namibia more equality hopefully the the namibian cricket board handles the whole issue of uh issue of of uh, black and wh- uh, black white players better than um, better than the South African cricket board has done in the past. I mean, it's it's a, it's a very difficult issue, and it's not one that I'm going to pretend to have any authority on. But fingers crossed, five ten years down the line, as a result of this performance and as a result of the new eyes on Namibian cricket, thanks to this performance, you will be able to see a genuinely very talented, well-developed, properly supported Nubian cricket team that will hopefully be more representative of its general population, by which I mean not have your star all-rounder and opening strike bowler both be white South Africans. Um, but I do want to talk a bit about those two white South Africans because they did perform really well, to give them their credit. But to give them their, They performed really well, right? So uh, David Visa, he, for me, wins the kind of tournament crown of being the best bargain pick in fantasy cricket because... He was one of the cheapest all-rounders because he played for Namibia and consistently got runs because he plays for Namibia. So he's always going to bowl four overs and he's always going to come out to bat with like 10 overs left. So that was really good. Um, won me lots of points there and I was very, very happy for him. He's also also plays for Sussex. That's just another bonus. I think I think he re-signed. Yeah, we lost Chris, we lost Chris Jordan, um, which is devastating actually. But I think we kept David Visa, which is important. Yeah, and the other the other obviously good performance was Aryan Nation Shaheen Sharafridi, Ruben Trumpelman. Um, I think I think it was that over, yeah I think it was that opening spell against Scotland. He is just he's a very very exciting player. He's twenty three years old. Um, the Sheen Shafridi comparison isn't as accurate because Afridi tends to swing it in, especially when the ball's still moving. Trouble was swinging it out, finding the edge. But it was just it was an incredibly exciting performance, admittedly against Scotland. Right, let's be honest here. But for a twenty three year old in that position, um, with in what was seen to be potentially an extremely competitive game to just completely take away a game away from Scotland that quickly. It was extremely, extremely impressive. I think um, he's he's kind of, as far as I'm aware, he's sort of, he's sort of come out of nowhere. He's, he plays a bit in the um, in South African domestic, but he's, he's one of those kind of Daryl Mitchell type players, though mostly seven years younger, who just sort of toils away a bit in the arse end of nowhere just putting on consistently good performances but not highlight reel ones or not ones with enough media coverage to really make an impact and then just comes in and dominates uh, I think there's a good chance he might get picked up at least for the blast I'd quite like to see that he's undeniably quite talented and exciting to watch and that's all really good um, that's enough about Namibia though 
because that's all I've got really to say about that. I'm going to pause. I've got a really sore throat. I don't know if you can hear that. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to get a drink and then I'm going to talk about the next country on my list, which is going to be. I'll save Afghanistan for last because I've got lots to say about them. I'll talk about Bangladesh next. Bangladesh I'll get through pretty quickly. They started off really poorly, then Shakiba Hassan got injured. And I think they'd already been mathematically eliminated by the time he got injured. But once he'd been injured, they continued to be uh, pretty shit. Uh, there's not an awful lot to say about them. I think some people explain, people definitely expected more. I think Shakiba Hassan was good in the games he played because... He's a fantastic player, and that kind of happens when you've got players of that calibre. Um, Mr. Fizur Rahman was slightly disappointing. Um, no, I'm, 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 I'm scratching around. There's not an enormous amount to say for Bangladesh, which is always a shame. But it's it, it's the, it's the kind of it's the go-to. They've got some good young players. Hopefully that works out. There you go. I'm not going to add anything. This episode's going to overrun already. Uh, sh- uh, I'm not doing this in order of where people finished. I'm doing it in order of things I want to say. Sri Lanka. Um, Sri Lanka were interesting. Sri Lanka were an exciting team. I think there's definitely some some stuff to be positive about. Thik Shanka looked absolutely fantastic. Winindu Hasaranga finally got the eyes on his uh, on his ability that he deserved, which is excellent. I think that's kind of. I mean, that's what you want. If you don't qualify, you as an individual player, you. Even even if you see the tournament itself, it's slightly disappointing. Although I don't think people necessarily saw Sri Lanka making it through. To, especially, to be fair, in this group, people saw it as a toss-up between England, Australia, and the West Indies. Turned out they were wrong about that. But still, um, I don't think anyone really expected a ton from Sri Lanka. They expected some individual players to have some exciting performances, and that's exactly what they got. So thanks to winning New Sri Lanka for that. That's good. Um, South Africa. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ! This is. There's a lot to say about Sri Lanka, uh, sorry, about South Africa, specifically about one man who uh, opens the batting and then puts the gloves on. But it's all been said. And at the end of the day, I'd rather just leave it to people who understand what they're talking about and also Quinta de Cook than just end up embarrassing myself or just making assumptions that aren't true. But there was that whole debate about whether or not de Cook would take the knee and then he said he wouldn't and then got left out of the team and people assume and I think it's more or less confirmed by this point the reason he wasn't in the team for what ended up being a pretty crucial game it was the second of the Super Bowl I can't remember who it was against but it was an important match right then he, he didn't show up and didn't play that and it's just, it's just all it's impressive that they got to where they did with all that going on in the background I think um, I mean I always like watching South Africa play especially with this lineup, especially Idanri Nokia and Kihisa Rabada were just unbelievably fun to watch. Um, Sabre Shamsi was all right. He was good. He wasn't. He didn't play like the number one T20 bowler in the world because he's not. He's just that in the rankings. In reality, we all know who number one is, and it is Rashid Khan because he's probably the best ever, uh, which he continued to prove. Um, winning this tournament, I, yeah, it was a very close cut thing in the end. They. Uh, they got. They'd made it. They almost made it through to the semi-finals if it hadn't been for net run rate in the end. Uh, there were some heroic performances from uh, from Rusty van der Dusen especially. He was. He is such an interesting player. Just just in just kind of with with that whole ridiculous ODI record, that real hit hit or miss kind of slightly dowered Milan at times approach within um, within T20. Just again, sort of 
wasn't this kind of touted prospect as far as I'm aware. Just he's just he wasn't there, and now he's kind of here. And most of the time he's really really good, and other times you just don't know what he is. It's, it's really interesting. Um, but that was South Africa, and they didn't win. Uh, so that's yeah. I just you never ever know what to expect with South Africa. You always it's never what you think, and even if it is, it's never in the way you expect. A lot of people. Had they been told in a group of six, South Africa will make it to third and will almost make it through to the semi-finals, you'd have gone, yeah, well, look at the talent they've got on display. That sounds about right. And if you then said that that was just due to a multitude of reasons, including heroic performances from Rassi van der Dusen, including Quinton de Kock not playing all the games because this enormous controversy, you'd have gone, that sounds exactly like Sri Lanka, but how the fuck South Africa? It's just, I'm, I'm looking at a list of all the teams and South Africa are just above Sri Lanka and they both start with S um, and I, I rush things. But... At the end of the day, to conclude my bit on South Africa, they're a weird, fun team with a dog shit cricket board that alienates all their best players. And I hope that they continue to be a really good, exciting team and in, and develop into a really good, exciting team with fantastic players. With fantastic players who don't get alienated by a shit cricket board. It's the little things in life that you can hope for. Um, that would be good, to be honest. I mean, when you've got players of the calibre of... Uh, Stain, Duplessis, uh, fucking De Villiers, all sitting out, just constantly, with good reason, criticising the board for just being petty, just constantly political. It's uh, the endless arguments between players and management, the weird captaincy decisions, all of it is it's a clusterfuck. And you, you do wonder you do wonder what this team could achieve without all that going on in the background, without that constant just inferno of noise and controversy and decisions and confusion going around, going on behind them. Um, with some actual unity, to be honest. But there you go. Um, that's I mean, it's a very, very, again, very, very complicated discussion and not one that I'm going to have in this quick roundup that will also eventually turn into a preview of the final um, because I might as well get it all done in one and the final is tomorrow. I was originally going to do two, but I recorded the first bit on Thursday and then uh, my voice really hurt, uh, so I didn't do any more. Again, peep behind the magician's glass. Next up, it is the West Indies. Jesus Christ, what a disappointment this was. I think the thing that really um, stuck out to me with this performance was that fucking Lendl Simmons uh, innings. Oh my god, what it's it is mind-boggling. That I mean that is the first time I've seen a batsman almost make it to a half century whilst losing his team the game in the process. That was absolutely ridiculous. So, so that's okay. That really stuck out to me. Um, the incredibly weak bowling attack was obvious. I don't know whether the plan was to sort of rely on um, just a admittedly stacked batting lineup to kind of pull them through it, or if they expected more. Um, I don't know why they didn't play Sunil Nareen. That felt like it would have been a pretty obvious decision. Um, just the whole tournament was very weird for them. Not just that Simmons innings. I remember it was. Um, Kyron Pollard retiring hurt and then just coming back later on and no one's, we're still not sure if he was actually hurt or if it was just a strategic decision or whatever, I don't know Chris Gale continued to um, it's uh, John Hutton who made this comparison you see, I mean he's not the only one but John Hutton talks about how w, uh, how Chris Gale is the WG grace of T20 cricket 
I personally wouldn't go that far, but I do see a lot of the comparisons, not just because they're big, chunky lads. But there was this element of it. There's this element of it about him, this kind of, not just this mystique around him, but I remember reading, um, it's Clifford Bax, uh, the old English playwright, wrote this amazing biography of W.G. Grace, where he talks about how at the end of his career, despite him, his, him still being incredibly capable with the bat, he'd become this kind of oddity within the game. Like He, he remembered, because uh, I mean, Clifford Bax was a contemporary, he'd watched Grace's career unfold. Um, he talks about how he remembered many times seeing these like teams of young players who kind of, who had this, who couldn't figure out their relation to him, to Grace. They would see, because there's this one story, this is, um, I can't remember which batsman it was, but he hits one out to the boundary where a very, like a 50 plus year old WG Grace, very much towards the end of his career, goes moves towards the ball. The ball clearly bounces in front of him, then bounces up into his hands. No one appeals. No one thinks it's out. But the batsman tucks his bat under his shoulder, uh, tucks his bat under his arm, and walks off the pitch. Was and the official scoring of that was uh, was give, uh, retired, thinking he was out because, the, 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 as the story goes, the respect he had for Grace just meant that he couldn't see himself doing, and he couldn't see himself as not being out to him. He just saw the ball in his hands and just kind of was mesmerized by it. And then you've got the other side of that spectrum. You've got stories about younger players mocking him on his own teammates mocking him on the field for his fielding because i mean his 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 knees were shot he was out of shape he was old um and he he couldn't really run anymore and it's just there's that kind of weird you, you're in that kind of weird position with gail at this point it's like you you can't not have him in because he's still chris gail he's still capable of these amazing things and also let's be honest there's not really an an amazing crop of players who could replace him right currently at least within the West Indies squad. and at, But at the same time, you don't really... You, you, what you're expecting isn't who he is anymore. You're kind of... You, you're not bowling at Chris Gale, or at least you're not watching people bowl at Chris Gale. You're watching people bowl at the kind of... the legend around the man, the sort of... You're watching the universe boss. You're not watching Chris Gale. In the same way you weren't watching WG Grace, you're watching the Doctor, right? The great man. And there is an element of that kind of... It's kind of this mystical element around him that... At, or at at often times, that's not how that's not phrasing anything well. But often masks the fact that he is an incredibly hit or miss player who isn't great in the field and bowls a bit of acceptable off spin. It's something that a lot of people are finding quite hard to contend with. Not me. I personally don't like him much as a person. Although I will admit he is an unbelievably was an unbelievably talented player and is still quite good. Um. Yeah, no, West Indies, massive disappointment. Defending champions uh, ended up one win, four losses, uh, and a minus 1.6 net run rate. What a shit tournament for them. Uh, I will get to England and Australia in a second. I'm going to get to the top two of each group last. Uh, there's India next. So India I wanted to talk about um, originally earlier. I was planning on doing this uh, on the day they were eliminated. I was planning on doing this fun podcast, which was just going to be like five unbroken minutes of me laughing. I thought that could have gone down really well. Uh, and again, expanded my brand in the Indian market, which is what I'm striving for at all times. Um, but I was too late to do that because I can't remember what the what excuse I came up with was. For whatever reason, I didn't do it. I was probably just lazy. Should have done that. That would have been fantastic. Um, but no, India, a hugely disappointing tournament, which is very, very funny to watch. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, Virat Kohli, um, I can't remember if, so he, he said he's stepping down from RCB at the end of the IPL uh, as captain. I think he's already done that. 
I think he's going to do the same with T20. I'm not entirely sure. I think he probably he probably should after this. This was the end of Ravi Shastri's tenure. Again, as far as I'm aware, I really should have double-checked that because I'm not going to... Because otherwise I'm going to look like a fucking idiot. Good thing no one listens. All in all, just hilariously disappointing from India. Um, but at the same time, when you... Don't quite make it into this tournament due to fantastic performances from Pakistan and New Zealand and coming third, and everyone is treating it as this kind of hilarious fuck up. That's probably a sign that you're a pretty good team, and they are a pretty good team. But this was this was uh, this was quite embarrassing for them. The yeah that that perform that uh, Pakistan performance against them was just such an exciting cricket match. Um, made much better by the fact that I had a three D Andrews one in my fantasy team from day one because I yeah obviously you would wouldn't you. Great, um, great tournament to watch for India because it was just very funny, um, but also with enough excitement of will they get back into it? No, they won't. To kind of really keep it keep it exciting. Um, no, it's just really really funny, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, um, so last team before we get into semis and then the final, it is Afghanistan. My God, what an exciting team! I absolutely love Afghanistan. They uh, they kind of they bring up that the constantly existing debate as to the correct approach to T Twenty cricket, and um, you so you've got people like uh, like Ben Jones, who is admittedly fantastic, one of one of my favourite analysts slash writers out there currently. Probably him, Jared Kimber, uh, at the moment at least, both amazing. I've got I've actually got his um got his book, Hitting uh, uh, Against the Spin. This is not. Kimber's book, this is Ben Jones and Nathan Lehman. I'm very excited to read it. I haven't quite got around to it yet. But that's gonna be really good. Um and I'm excited. But he he kind of sees it, he's approaching the whole debate as to the correct approach from the perspective of Afghanistan's got it right. Because there's that match, I, f- I can't remember who they played against. It was early on in the tournament, where like their top four all got out incredibly, incredibly cheaply, right? So, um like Gerbaz was something like four off six, then caught going for this ridiculous shot. But they were all out playing aggressive shots. So they all basically skied, uh, skied off spinners. I think uh, Zazai just kind of top edged one. It was it was it was shocking passing, really. But then they still had. But then they had um, Gubani Naib and Mohammad Nabi come out, steady the innings, and then end up posting. I think not quite one sixty, but ended up posting a very very good total. And his, so Ben Jones's philosophy on the whole thing is always like just attack from the word go. And he was talking about how this is actually the perfect approach from Afghanistan. You see, they were instantly attacking, and if it had worked out, they'd be they'd have got this monstrous total, right? But they've got such good they've got such good depth in their team, right? That despite their top four all getting out incredibly cheaply and poorly, the fact that they could still have players come in and end up still posting a really good total is proof that they've got the right method. I'm clearly paraphrasing here. But it was to that effect, it was Afghanistan have got the correct approach. And that is, there's not, I don't see there being a correct approach or an incorrect approach. There's a lot more that goes into that. I don't think Ben Jones sees there as just being a, a catch-all, cover-all, correct approach either. I'm not saying that. But it is an existing debate, and it is the debate that will always focus around either teams or individual players. It will always focus around collapses from teams that couldn't find that anchor or it will focus around players like David Valand scoring 35 or 40. It, it's, yeah, I am, it's a very interesting debate and I think Afghanistan are very much the poster children at the moment for that. 
because they do attack from the word go. That just makes for really, really exciting cricket. Genuinely, I think um, I think Afghanistan could be in the running to become one of the best teams in the world in a couple of years. You look at the talent they've got on display, you look at how young that talent is. You look at, I mean, Rashid Khan, yeah, he is, you know, he feels eternal, to be honest, right? He's been around forever, he's breaking records all the time and is still, you know, despite all the bullshit around, oh, how old is he actually from... Uh, who fucking cares? Right? Let's, just say he's 20, let's just say he's 23, 24, be done with it, right? You've got Mujiba Rahman, who... Oh my god, I love Mujiba Rahman. It's the um, it's that uh, the, the drift he gets on it. I had this uh, I kind of, there's this kind of theoretical world in which an IPL franchise picks up Mujiba Rahman and Ravi Bishnoi and bowls them from each uh, bowls them from each end, just like eight straight overs that I would genuinely pay a lot of money to watch just seeing seeing them basically spin bowlers bowl, uh, spinners bowling in swingers it's absolutely amazing he's just he's mesmerising because Rashid Khan is obviously the best T20 bowler in the world it's been said a lot but I can't think of many bowlers I enjoy watching more from a just aesthetic perspective than the absolutely incredible Ajib Rahman. I love him also there's still a lot of really exciting players that they haven't uh, brought into the fold they've still got um it's admittedly so that he was in. The, this is um, Shafiqul Hafari. It was he followed up what was a very impressive under nineteen World Cup performance with a sort of. He's kind of consistently middling since then, but he's still like twenty. Was it because he was like sixteen when that happened? He's still incredibly young. He'll probably be coming to the fold at some point. Obviously, Ashgar Afghan retired. I think. Um, I think in an, I think at ten years time, people look back on this captaincy as a bit like Nasser Hussain's captaincy overseeing some incredibly difficult times with this kind of drive and goal to see that team turn from what they were into this more into this respected potentially world-beating squad he's not going to be there as captain for all the good times but he will be the guy who laid the groundwork who created this identity who brought through these exciting young players and who proved to them that they could compete at that level which will then lead to them surpassing everything that they were under him, but sheerly, you know, purely thanks to what he achieved. Just a good captain. Andy looks a lot like Dimitri Martin, who is a great comedian. Uh, it's the haircut and nose combo. Um, so that's just another of the many compliments you can give Ashgar Afghan. Um, yeah, I think uh, Zazai... Um, it was just... Zazai, Gerbaz, it was all... At the beginning, it felt like it had all come together. At the beginning, it genuinely did feel like Afghanistan could go all the way, at least for me. And then it, the wheels sort of fell off, and it was it was a slightly uninspired end to the whole tournament. Not helped by uh, the, uh, Majib getting injured, not necess- not feeling like he was bowling full strength after just the first match alone. I think, um, although that five four was unbelievable. It was it started like I said, it started strong and sputtered. But my God, that was some good cricket to watch. Uh, they are unbelievably enjoyable I think they were basically what people expected the West Indies to be except with some of the best spin bowlers in the world yeah sorry if that was a bit jarring as a cut Um, I ended up going on too long and then looked at the runtime and was like I should probably cut some out anyway um, semi-finalists and then final preview I'm just going to blitz through this almost at 40 minutes that's way too long Um, I probably won't be able to listen to this until I think back 
and I fucking make it. So, uh, first semi-final was uh, England-New Zealand. I think it's uh, safe to say that's a slight disappointment. Does it feel like the ends of an era of English cricket? No, because that's a sort of stupid way of looking at things. Uh, I'm creating, I'm pretending people are saying things that they're not actually saying so I can get annoyed about them. I've been watching a lot of um, right-wing media recently and I've realised that while I disagree with everything they say, it's incredibly profitable to do it. So I'm thinking of becoming the kind of Rush Limbaugh of cricket, just sort of, inv- uh, or, or Tucker Carlson, for, for, for a more contemporary example. I'm going to kind of create arguments that are happening around cricket and then do this like live video feed where I like read out these things that I've written myself pretend that other people said them, and then it's going to make like a sort of weird, incredulous face, um, and then kind of use that for profit. I mean, let's be honest, going back to that thing about trying to expand the Indian market, if there's one thing they love, it's right-wing populism. So I could I could really make a killing in that. Um, so yeah, it basically, if there's a lot of strawman arguments, that's what I'm sort of working towards. Um, anyway, uh, there's a lot of questions to be answered, obviously, not in the kind of People need to answer for this failure. It was an incredibly exciting cricket match. We didn't come out on top. That's fine. That happens as evidenced by the fact that, that happened in exactly the opposite sense last time in the uh, World Cup final uh, ODI, right? Again, against New Zealand. Um, I'm very happy for New Zealand. I hope they go all the way. They are a great team, lots of amazing players, and we'll get to all of those in a second. But yeah, it was. Um, it, it didn't necessarily feel like... This is something a lot of people have pointed out. It didn't feel necessarily until the very end like England had lost it. We we uh, batted first, and I know we prefer chasing normally, but set a very good total. Some very good batting. It felt like a defendable one. The bowling started off strong. It was just an excellent controlled innings from Daryl Mitchell, um, and then fo- followed by some destructive batting from uh, from Jimmy Nation. It's like sometimes there were just things you can't account for, and I think that kind of X-factor batting performance from Nishan combined with that steady flow of runs from uh, Daryl Mitchell and that explosion at the end was just one of those things. Going into, I think, I mean, going into the last five overs, I don't think anyone really expected New Zealand to do it, and then they did it. And that is, you know, it was just a heroic performance from them. I think it's obviously disappointing for the England team, it's a shame, but, I mean, what can you do? It's, uh, sometimes you just, sometimes you're just not the, not quite good enough on the day, and that is, you know, there's no real shame in that especially if you gave a good account of yourself, which they did. Um, the questions are obviously going to be surrounding Owen Morgan um, as captain. I think that's not going to be helped by the fact that he came into this uh, tournament on quite a poor run of form and didn't. there wasn't really a standout innings from him. I think the, it, the, the, the hardest thing to really compete with in this kind of scenario is the general consensus view of you because um, we don't... Form is such a such a nebulous concept, right? There's so many different things that go into it. There's people who argue that it doesn't even exist. Um, this idea that there's this kind of mental or even physical underlying current that hurt, that determines whether or not your determines as a based off your last few performances how your next one will be is controversial. We'll say it's that it's a subjective debate, undeniably, and. It's one that unfortunately does lead into perceptions. It does bleed into these what people think of you, how people see and view you as a player. And the narrative around Morgan going into this is that he was a fantastic batsman and he's still a fantastic captain. 
again, I won't get into the whole captaincy debate now. Was a fantastic player, still is a fantastic captain, and here he is coming in. Hopefully, he'll break his poor, you know, poor form and lead the team that he created into one last final and then retire on top. Um, because he clearly can't do it anymore with the bat, but he's still, as a cricketing mind, excellent, all that. And that's the general view, I think, of things. I think people want him to step down as captain now because they saw him almost as, a bit like Ashgar Afghan, as this kind of ceremonial figure, this almost this talisman of English white ball cricket who led his team to the highest highs and is, and is now... Being uh, and is now being enabled by them to retire on top, and since that didn't work out, that's just a sign that he's not that he's not the man to do that anymore. And as with all these things, it 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 will always boil down to how you see cricket, whether or not you see it from a more analytical perspective, whether or not you kind of tend to feed more into narratives. If you like kind of more nebulous concepts, you just this all a lot of this is subconscious. You don't realize necessarily how you view the sport itself how you view teams how you view even ideas of progress development mentality approach captaincy none of these ideas are as solid or as concrete as you convince yourself that they are so you can pretend that you understand anything or at least for me personally it did sound a lot like i was projecting there but you can never really you can never be right with this kind of thing this there's, there's never a correct view there's never a correct approach that you can just bring into everything. It's much too. It, the world is much too complicated. And there's one thing in the world that's fucking complicated. It's cricket. I don't know if you ever tried to explain the rules to someone in a second language or anything like that. It is murder. But is Morgan done? Is he not done? I have no idea because I don't know how he feels as a batsman. I don't know how he feels as a person. I all I know is that Silverwood has said that it's Morgan's decision. I think that'll be very interesting. Um, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I mean, there's no point really speculating as to who would replace him until until he eventually does step down, and then we'll have that whole debate later. I think it's it's too early for retrospectives on his career. It's too early for any of that. It's and he's for now all you can really see it is is a potentially slightly disappointing competition where they went out in unforeseen circumstances, admittedly, following an incredible performance from New Zealand and. Owen Morgan was the captain for that and is still the captain now. We'll see how that changes later on. Um, in terms of other performers, Adil Rashid was obviously amazing because he still is. It was a fantastic uh, return to form for Moeen Ali. Timor Mills was excellent up until that injury, which is a real shame, although admittedly he'd been having a poor game before that injury. I really hope he stays within the, stays in the national um, team for a while. He's an amazing player. God knows he deserves it. Not just, based off the back of his performances, not just for Sussex, but for England as well. He's always been amazing for them. Um, Mark Wood did not look like he was fully healthy when he came back in. Uh, Joffre Archer obviously didn't bowl because he was uh, was never in the squad because he was injured. Uh, Livingston was exciting. There's not... Yeah. I mean, Joss Butler was undeniably the standout performer. I think he... I don't think there's a, I don't think anyone's going to try and bump him down the order again after that. He is solidly set as the opener for good reason, um, and I'm just very happy for him. In, as a, I'm just happy for him on a personal level that he was able to really kind of just display the kind of dominance that has always been has always been there. 
but never, never always at the, not always at the forefront, never always, not always at the forefront of his game. Um, so how I see it, at least. So that's nice. Moving on quickly to Pakistan. Really, really thought they'd make it to the final. Um, Shin Shafridi is probably the most exciting strike bowler in all of T Twenty cricket right now. Uh, I think the the uh, the other two you'd be considering are Jasper Bumrah and Jofra Archer. Archer didn't bowl. Bumrah didn't bowl that well. I mean, by his standards, didn't bowl that well. Uh, Afridi was just pure magic. Uh, love that man. What a bowler. His um, thing I like about him is he his different. Uh, it's, the th- it's the thing people credit Bumrah with a lot. It's this ability to be able to be. It's this ability to bowl in every single phase of the game. He's an amazing. They're both amazing uh, new ball bowlers. They get sw- they can swing it, pace, aggression, uh, good aggressive lengths, forcing the batsman to play, getting edges, getting some incredible clean bowls. Uh, but then as the innings progresses, as the ball gets a bit older, they can just vary up their approach. I think you saw it in that first game against India, when that he in the first over he removed both the openers, um, Raul and Sharma, with those in- two glorious deliveries. Right, this it's insane in swingers, right? And then in the, in, in the last over he bowled, caught, uh, got Virat Kohli out with a slower ball bouncer. Those are two very different bowling approaches, and. People are learning more and more to be able, to be able to do both, um, to be able to do it with the new ball, with the old ball, and in the middle overs. But I think Afridi and Bumrah are probably the benchmark for that talent, and they are just really, really good. Um, also, amazing in Test cricket as well. Both of them uh, just very, very exciting future for pace bowling overall. I mean, there's always good pace bowlers, but this is there's something very, very special about Afridi. I mean, we already knew it going in, didn't we? And the fact that he's playing for fucking Middlesex in the Vitality Blast is absolutely unbelievable. I don't know how they were able to swing that, but I mean, they're, oh Christ, they're looking like the team. They're looking like the team that absolutely no one will want to face just with that one signing alone, which is very annoying. Because uh, I quite like him to play for Sussex. Because you know, if you're good, play for Sussex. It'd be nice. We'd like it. I mean, that's a replacement for Chris Jordan right there. Hey, um, what else? Uh, Riz one. Uh, was uh, fantastic. Allegedly played the final innings after two days in the ICU, uh, which is questionable. Not as in the authenticity of the statement. I believe that that's true. It's just an interesting decision for him to still play, uh, although he did still play and almost was almost one of the game winners for them. I think, um, yeah, uh, Barbara Zam. There's not. It it feels like they they feel like a team with more to say about them. To be honest, but I don't have the technical know-how of cricket to be able to analyse individual sort of abilities. I'm not going to say, well, it was really interesting how Barbara Zahn was able to shuffle more across the stumps and then diversify. Like I don't know, right? I don't know that um, because I I'm not at that level yet. I'm trying to learn more about it, but I'm not at that level of being able to pick apart the technique um, to be able to comment on that. So I, for the time being, still see things in terms of kind of narratives and the narrative of Pakistan outside of that victory against India isn't as compelling as you might think. It's very exciting players who couldn't quite get over the line who were dominant until they weren't. And that's the more interesting story in... To be honest, the more interesting story in both the semi-finals was the players who completed the run chase, Jimmy Nisham and Matthew Wade. And oh my God, am I happy for Matthew Wade. I love Matthew Wade. Um, I've... Yeah, he was... Uh, 
he actually uh, started off not liking him much. It was just that kind of whole sort of aggressive batsman, machismo kind of approach that a lot of Aussie batsmen have. Um, but the thing is, with him, it was specifically within the context of facing Neil Wagner in that amazing spell, uh, well, in that amazing series, where Wagner was uh, targeting that body line to Wade and Smith especially, very, very effectively. He just kind of got stare, stared down each time by Wade. It was excellent. Um, but he, he gave this interview afterwards talking about just... Really, really, really insightful guy, and I'm, ex- I'm extremely happy for him. Incredible bit of batting, it has to be said. I mean, there was like two ramp shot sixes in three balls off Shaheen Shah Afridi, of all people, to, to to turn what was an incredibly tight run chase into a comfortable victory with an over to spare. That is just, that's unbelievable. He is extremely exciting. Um, yeah, I... Uh, since we're talking about Australia, since I'm talking about Australia, and since it's almost been an hour long, Jesus Christ, I'm just going to turn this into a quick um, finals preview. I want New Zealand to win, but I think Australia will win. I think the loss of Devon Conway, who got injured punching his bat when he got out in the England match, is is going to potentially be game changing. Um, he had a couple of amazing innings in the World Cup a couple of slightly poor ones but he he is just the security of having him there does change the just does change the game a lot I think New Zealand will pro, New Zealand will want to bowl first I think um, Southie and bowl especially Southie have been excellent in the entire tournament when you want to see, if you're looking to start a run chase right I don't think there's anyone you'd want at the top of the order more than Martin Guptill I think Kane Williamson if they are to win this Excluding the, some kind of extraordinary situation where they end, where they bowl first and skit all the Aussies for like six or something, that's probably not going to happen, right? I think the key to victory will be a strong start from Guptill. You, I'm not expecting him to bowl uh, to bat the full twenty innings, right? But a strong start, laying a foundation, a good innings from Kane Williamson, aggressive batting from Daryl Mitchell, um, and just no room for mistakes in the field that is the one area where New Zealand have been head and shoulders above every other team their fielding has been unbelievable from everyone I mean they've got Martin Gupsall who's always good in the field um, Glenn Phillips has been just lightning as a sweeper some of the most impressive fielding I've seen in a long time because he's an amazing player they're all amazing players um, I think uh, there's um, there's a Discussion around whether or not Williamson is too hesitant to bowl Santner to left-handers. I think you'd rather bowl Santner than Phillips uh, in the final, at least, given that Phillips was a wicketkeeper up until a couple of years ago. And Santner is a very talented bowler who's been bowling his entire life. Um, who do I think is going to win? It's Australia. I think Australia are going to win. I think they've got the better bowling attack. Not by much, but they've got the slightly better bowling attack. And with the absence of Conway, they've got the stronger batting lineup. I think it'll be interesting to see which spinner succeeds more out of Sodi, Santler, and Zampa. On current form, you'd have to assume Zampa. It's up there. You'll have to see who performs better out of Stark Cummins or Southie Bolt. There's a you have to see if Jimmy Neesham is capable of more magic. If Matthew Wade is capable of more magic. If Aaron Finch continues what's been a slightly disappointing tournament, or if he really just explodes back to form. I hate to admit this 
But I think for the first time in my life, I'm rooting for David Warner to do well. Which is weird, because I normally hate the man. But he has been... Just some some of the shots he's been playing. So he, he looks like... Uh, he just looks like... He looks like someone who's comfortable out there. And that's so weird for someone who's always had that kind of... The thing that's always been kind of turn off with Warner is this kind of... You get this impression, it's this sort of insane competitive streak, this sort of aggressive, angry intensity that a lot of people... It's compelling, but at the same time does make him come across as a real arsehole at times. Um, a kind of like the, the constant smirk as well when he gets out. It's always seen as a bit arrogant, I guess. But in this tournament, he's just been so good to watch such an exciting batsman just playing amazing shots just he looks like someone who is and again this is obviously narrative this is obviously just creating narrative around but i mean that's what i'm doing right he's looked like someone who is comfortable with this potentially being his last tournament and he wants to win it but he's not gonna he's gonna try and drag australia across the line but he's not gonna kill himself doing it he's gonna still enjoy himself he has been unbelievable this entire tournament and he suddenly out this such fun to watch I'm finding myself rooting a bit for David Warner I still want New Zealand to win because they're an incredibly likeable team and they're not Australia and it would be good to have Australian spirits low coming into the ashes um, so we could maybe win one test which we won't win but yeah regardless it's going to be an incredibly exciting final I'm very looking forward to watching it I think um Shit, who's going to win? I want New Zealand to win, clearly. I think Australia will probably win. I think Australia will win if New Zealand bat first. I think that's the kind the way I see it. Australia's best chance is to bowl first, get a decent target, and then just chase it down. And they're definitely capable of that. I Yeah. That's probably going to do it. It's just 57 fucking minutes of just inane rambling. The problem with getting out of practice, not doing any of these for a while, is that it does turn into quite, just quite kind of... It's ram- It's a rambly podcast at the best of times, but it can turn into this just non-stop stupid thing. Like, hopefully there's a couple of bits in there that are sort of interesting. I think the Chris Gale-WG Grace comparison, whilst other people have made it, I was just commenting on it, Hopefully that's something to listen to that you might find interesting or compelling. I don't know. Hopefully there was something in this fucking hour of just stream consciousness bullshit that was worth listening to. If there wasn't, that is a real shame. Final update, I'm planning on doing a uh, sort of proof of concept test of the SCP-11s uh, with someone in a couple of days, just kind of seeing how to record that, seeing if like, seeing if the kind of transfer of audio files works, if we can get that down, if the concept works. If that does work out, I might have the first episode out before the new year, which should be really exciting, because that's quite an interesting concept. I want to see how the podcast works with two people instead of just me in front of a microphone talking non-stop. I'd be interested to see how the interview format works, how the 11s format works. All interesting. It's a very exciting time. I'm looking forward to the final, and I really want you to win, so it's a shame that Australia will. I've been... I I didn't do the nickname bit at the beginning. Ah, fuck it. Podcast's done. Hope you enjoyed. Bye.